Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. Hey everybody, we are back to Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. We have a very special episode for you today, kind of veering off the course of the McCartney albums that we have been doing in the past. So we realized before we jump into Flaming Pie, there's a Beatles reunion that happens. We get... Free as a Bird, Real Love, a few other things in there. And we thought, what better way to kind of prepare for that episode, which will be our next, than grabbing all of the songs that Paul, some John, maybe some George, maybe some Ringo, wrote for other artists from the beginning of the Beatles, throughout the Wings era, and into Paul's solo career. Gather them all up, talk about them. So you guys can all have them in one place. Chris, how do you feel about us doing this? I feel a little unprepared, frankly. (laughs) Yeah, well, as always with Paul, you know, you start digging around and you find out he had a free weekend and he wrote about 20 songs that weekend. Yeah. You know, that's sort of the case here as well. We have many more songs than we thought. We knew we were going to do this episode from way back, and I've been very excited about it from way back. But there's about three times as much here as I thought we were going to be talking about. It. It's yeah. remarkable. We, what a list of songs I'm looking at right here. And so we both thought, what better way to fill in some of the blanks and invite one of our friends, one of our heroes, a gentleman we reference all the time, Andrew Grant Jackson's on the show with us today. Andrew, how are you? Oh, great. It's, it's great to be with some fellow Maca maniacs here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maniac is definitely the key word. We are a special breed. <laughs> yep. So for all of our listeners, Andrew Grant Jackson, he is an author and one of my favorite authors. He wrote the book, Still the Greatest, that we reference all the time. He has a few others, 1965, The Most Revolutionary Year in Music, and then this great book that's like a Where's Waldo almost called Where's Ringo? where you got to find Ringo in these animated pictures, like the old books from the 80s and 90s, the Where's Waldo books. And Andrew, you said you have an upcoming book as well. Do you want to talk about that? Well, I'd done this book in 1965. It was about, you know, the Beatles, Stones, Motown, Dylan, all the stuff that was exploding that year. And uh, the publishers asked me to do one on 73 because the years... uh, in between 65 and 73 have been pretty well covered now. Right. And I'm kind of stunned. 73 is kind of like an unheralded or an underranked year, but it's got, that's got so much. Not st- by me. <laughs> yeah, what, what are your favorites from that year? <laughs> oh, there's so much stuff. I mean, let's just start with the Beatles with mind games and band on the run. Yeah, and Ringo's album. And Ringo's album. And Houses of the Holy. Is that that year? Yeah, Houses of the Holy, Dark Side of the Moon, you know, uh, you, mm-hmm. Bowie had Aladdin Sane. 
Motown was still going with Stevie Wonder, Inner Visions, and Marvin Gaye, and it's just amazing. Harder they come. Didn't they record some of Red Rose Speedway that year? Red Rose Speedway, and uh, I know we were talking about this, uh, you know, uh, off the record at one point. But you know, Band on the Run's got like you know a huge album, and Ram's a huge album. Wildlife and Red Rose Speedway, kind of not so much. But I think if you if he had just like put the best of that stuff in his singles together. That would have added up to a great album in between Ram and Band on the Run. Is Quadrophenia 1973? I think so. I have to look that up, though. I believe it is. Yeah. And Wizard of True Star, is that not 73? It is. Oh, yes. yeah. Wizard yes. of True Star. I love that album. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Quadrophenia. Yeah, you're right, Chris. 73. Wow. What a year. So that sounds like that's going to be an amazing book. But I haven't quite figured out my, like, you got to, like, sum it up in one word, you know? Like, I don't know what my one word for 73 is yet, but hopefully it's due in October, so hopefully I'll come up with the one word. I think it's the end of the 60s, in a way, 1973. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, the war that was wrapping down. The, the sound really begins to change. Uh, the studio sound begins to change a lot in 74, 75. We start to move toward that late 70s slick studio sound, you know? Yeah, a lot more synthesizers coming in and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. That sounds great to me, <laughs> synthesizers. But anyway, so we have a lot of songs to get into. The first song we're going to dive headfirst into today is a track called I'll Be On My Way, recorded by Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas, released April 26, 1963. The sun is fading away. That's the end of the day As the tune light turns to moonlight I'll be on my way Just one kiss and I'll go Don't hide the tears that don't show As the tune light turns to moonlight I'll be on my way To where the winds don't blow wrote this track chris what do you think i'll be on my way yeah this is just a great little song so i'm partial to the beatles version from live at the bbc but this is a great song i think billy j kramer does a fine job with it Can we talk about billy j kramer a little bit this is a sure he's got sort of a ricky nelson sort of a toned down elvis presley vibe going <laughs> yes. in the videos i saw safe elvis that's <laughs> right he even does the vaguely like crossed eyes at certain moments that Elvis does and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he was Brian Epstein's guy after the Beatles. He was like kind of Brian Epstein's main, him and Scylla Black, I think, were Jerry and the Pacemakers too, I guess. They were all part of Brian's stable. Mm. So it makes sense that he was trying to get some Beatles songs to Billy J. Kramer. Yeah. Yeah. And this song kind of remind. it almost seems to me like a dry run of McCartney's for I'll Follow the Sun a little bit. It's like that the Beals are, they're leaving town on a tour and he's having some kind of quasi bitter goodbye with some, you know, woman in, in some town somewhere, you know. And he's, right. I thought of things we said today as well. Right. Darker, but sort of a similar feeling in the lyrics. Yeah. I just think it sounds like a Buddy Holly song. Spe- specifically that line, as the June light turns to moonlight, I... Seems like something that 
Paul would have taken from Buddy, or as an inspiration at least. Actually, I, I know where that comes from. Of course, June, Moon, Spoon, Croon, that's a famously <laughs> yeah. bad set of rhymes. Yeah, yeah. If people were actually writing songs, making fun of those rhymes in the 30s. Uh, George and Ira Gershwin have a song called Blah, Blah, Blah. It's Blah, 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 Moon, Blah, 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 Love, Blah, 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 Croon, Blah, 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 Above. Really? So that's a song <laughs> making fun of bad rhymes. Yeah, and uh, Mark Blitzstein has a song called Croon Spoon from Cradle Will Rock, and that's early 30s. And that's also basically making fun of the Spoon Croon series of rhymes. But there's a song that uh, I'm sure everyone will be super excited to hear. It's the Glenn Miller theme song, <laughs> Moonlight Serenade. Yeah. And the actual lyrics to that song, I have a, a great version of Sinatra singing it, and that has June Night Moonlight in it. So that would be from the early 40s, huh? a specific rhyme. And I would not be surprised if Paul picked that up from there. Let's hear it. I stand at your gate And the song that I sing is of moonlight I stand and I wait For the touch of your hand in the June night the roses are sighing A moonlight serenade You know, when, when you say how he uh, probably was borrowed those lyrics, you, by the end of the, I guess by 1970, Chuck Berry and everybody started kind of suing the Beatles, you know, for um, appropriations, you know, or, you know... Uh, my sweet Lord and all that. But um, I always wondered, there were a lot right. of times in the early part of their career, like uh, I Feel Fine, which is one of my favorites. That riff is kind of very much from Bobby Parker's Watch Your Step. So like I always wondered back in the early days, did the artists, did they just kind of give up or did not try to bug the Beatles about that? Or did the was Capitol just behind the scenes? They just went to Bobby Parker and said, sign this and keep quieter you know i wonder how that worked out in the early part of their career george harrison made a comment after the successful litigation against him for my sweet lord he said gosh if that's all it takes for copyright infringement i'm surprised it's not happening every single day and my take on it is that these things are just in the air and you have these songwriters churning songs out and stuff just you know pops up it's sort of like the whole joke thief thing where sometimes people are stealing jokes and that's the absolute worst, you know, cardinal sin in comedy. A lot of the times, multiple comedians just come up with the same joke, you know? Right. This way I will go They were right, I was wrong True love didn't last long As the June light turns to moonlight I'll be on my way this i'll be on my way it made number two in the uk so it's actually a big hit wow it's a uh, surprising i was looking back in, of these songs that they gave away that 
two were number ones in the UK and 10 made the top 40. And in the US, wow. one was the number one and then five <laughs> made the top 40. So even though these are, we're thinking these are like cast offs for anybody else, it would have been, you know, career oh, moments. Yeah, or these, yeah, these are successful. These are highly successful songwriters apart from the Beatles, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, that is crazy to even think about that. Like this is a, the stuff the Beatles gave away would have made, they had kept it all for themselves would have made them bigger. Maybe. I I don't know. It's just, it's staggering. That is a staggering thing to realize. It's funny. There was one story about that. That was kind of interesting though. Like with woman, which is a great song at first, Paul wanted to see if, uh, if it would make it, if it didn't have Lennon McCartney on it. So he called himself Bernard Webb and the single didn't do too good. So then he started mentioning in like press conferences, oh, by the way, you know, that was one we wrote and then it went up the charts. So yeah, <laughs> that's a bit like Stephen King with the Bachman books, huh? Yes. Yeah, I love those. Yeah, the Stephen, long walk. Yeah. Those, those are cool books. Yeah, those are cool books too. Is the yeah. running man of true. Once, it be, once the secret got out, it is. Yeah. The last Bachman book was thinner. And it came out not long after that was released that it was him. And then that book did really well, of course. And Richard Bachman became huge. <laughs> but he had to be Stephen King before he actually became huge. But he was doing okay. He was getting his books published as someone else. Both these guys, how do they crank so much out? It's true. Those are two people who just crank it out. Absolutely crazy. And just one more point on this, as you, know, you Andrew, you mentioned charts. So... This single reached number two when From Me to You by the Beatles was number one in the UK. So it was number one From Me to You. (laughs) Number two, I'll Be On My Way. So Paul is just cash and checks right now (laughs) at this point in time. 63. (laughs) Unbelievable. Do you guys know if Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas made much of a dent in the United States in terms of the British invasion? That's a good question. I'm not... I'm not really sure. It doesn't seem like they were one of the uh, big ones, but I could be wrong about that. But I don't think so. The video I saw of one of these songs had a big British flag behind it. So it was clearly an American show that was pushing the British invasion. But I couldn't tell whether they really registered. Oh, I have a list here, actually, of the uh, the chart positions of these songs I gave away. Let me look and see what it says for uh, Billy J here. Um Bad to me made nine in the UK number one US nine so I guess so. Um, I'll keep you satisfied thirty in the US four in the UK from a window ten in the UK twenty three in the US so top forty okay. he was in the top forty yeah so that rising tide did lift all those boats now we should also mention that these Billy J Kramer and the Dakota songs are produced by George Martin right right. So they have that sound yeah they have the same kind of sound going they have the sound. What makes me wonder sometimes where the sound is coming from. You know, who's the fifth Beatle? I know Brian with the image opened the doors for their success, but I, I still, I'd put George Martin as the fifth Beatle a little bit above Brian myself. Yeah, hearing this sound across multiple artists here, and the Beatles always seem to do it the best. I reckon I'm biased, but it always seems to sound the best when it's them. They didn't exactly invent this sound. They just did it best, right? Like lots of bands were doing this and you can hear the, you know, you can hear George Martin working with another band, working with the same sound and getting a pretty similar result. Yeah. Peter and Gordon, they kind of have, I was listening to those Peter Gordon songs and some of the early ones almost sounded to me like, kind of like, kind of like leprechauns, like elves or leprechauns singing or something. And I 
the Beatles in the early days too had that high pitched oh, kind of interesting thing going. Like I guess that was just what was selling, you know. But I, probably the, when the Beatles sold, they all imitated it. Yeah, maybe a bit of a skiffle hold over that vocal style. Yeah, and Buddy Holly, of course. Yeah, they're the crickets, you know, like right. Oh, uh, uh, that kind of thing, right? Totally. Yeah. There's one song I don't think Paul gave away, but it was called "I Lost My Little Girl" that he did on the Unplugged. Uh, sessions where he just said this right. was the first song I wrote and he totally goes into a Buddy Holly imitation of that one you know, to show how they were uh, so influenced by him in the beginning the sun is fading away that's the end of the day as the June light turns to moonlight I'll be on my way just one kiss and I'll go So I think that leads us directly into this next track that I have on the list, uh, Bad to Me, also by Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas, released July 26, 63. So from what I understand, this one, John and Paul, more John than Paul, but wrote it in the back of a van. And we have this great Lennon demo, this haunting demo of this song that sounds like a 1950s kind of buddy holly like it doesn't quite sound like the beatles was what i'm trying to say it sounds more like a 50s thing and i love this little song bad to me if you ever leave me i'll be sad and blue don't you ever leave me i'm so in love with you birds in the sky would be sad and lonely if they knew that i lost my one and only they'd be sad if you're bad to me I heard that Lennon wrote it on his trip to Spain, you know, when his wife had the baby, and uh, then he but he went to Spain with uh, instead with Brian Epstein. I heard he wrote it when he was in, with Brian Epstein in Spain, but uh, I don't know. It's such a jaunty little tune. It sort of reminds me of From Me to You a little bit, or maybe even Misery, which is, despite its title, rather jaunty. <laughs> then we, oh, you know, that went to number nine in the U.S. Talk, I don't know if we said that already. It was big in the U.S. too. The thing that you'll hear from me throughout this whole episode is I can't believe that one, some of these songs exist, and two, they were as successful as they were. Like, I thought we were just going to have a clutch of bootlegs i you know we have a, a long list here so oh and they're good songs yeah <laughs> these are good songs i i got hung up on them while uh prepping you know and he had number one in the uk actually bad to me it's like a number one song if you ever leave me i'll be sad and blue don't you ever leave me i'm so in love with you the birds in the sky would be sad and lonely if they knew that I'd lost my one and only they'd be sad if you're bad to me. The leaves on the trees would be softly sighing if they heard from the 
that you left me crying, they'd be sad. Don't be bad to me. But I know you won't leave me, cause you told me so. And I've no intention of letting you go. Just as long as you let me know, you won't be bad to me. So the birds in the sky won't be sad. So another track, you know, I had heard you mention I Lost My Little Girl. John had written a song called Hello Little Girl that came out on August 30th, still 1963. That was on August 30th, The Foremost, who were another Liverpool band that was the Beatles' friend on the uh, club circuit there. Uh, This was the first song that... Also produced by George Martin, correct? It is, yeah. It was the first song Lennon wrote back in 57 inspired by his mom singing Cole Porter's It's Still Lovely or something. Hello, little girl. Beatles did this one on the uh, anthology. You can hear him on their Decca auditions doing this one. That's right. The Decca audition tape is quite good. It's a nice little forerunner to Please Please Me. Yeah. Yeah. Like this. I think this song is good. I like it on the, the Decca you know, song, the Decca auditions. Yeah, me too. Hello, little girl. Hello. The next song on the agenda is this one blew me away. I couldn't, I didn't even know it. I had never heard it before. A song called I'll Keep You Satisfied, also by Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas, released November 1st, 63. And Andrew, you had said to me that this was in the US and the UK charts, I think number four in the UK and 30 in the US and 64. And what a track. How do you feel about this one? Oh, wow. Yeah, I like this one a lot. And very well sung by Billy J. Kramer. You don't need anybody to hold you. Here I stand with my arms open wide. Give me love and remember what I told you. I'll keep you satisfied. You don't need anybody to kiss you. Every day I'll be here by your side. I'll keep you satisfied You can always get a simple thing like love Anytime But it's different with a boy 
McCartney said in his memoir that in many years from now that he still sings it, whistles this one in the garden. He still likes this one. <laughs> How cool is it's that? It's very hummable. How cool. That's so cool. <laughs> and a very good record, again, produced by George Martin. Right. Has the Beatles double beat. That, 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 that. Has that early Beatles beat. Satisfied. You can this is one of these songs where I wish that the Beatles, this was on an album. You guys both may think I'm nuts, but a lot of these songs that Paul gave away, and we'll hear this more later in the 60s and the 70s, they sound like proto-wing songs to me. They have more of like a wingsy thing than a Beatles thing. And I think Paul knew that, and he's like giving away stuff. I'm like, well, this isn't for the Beatles. This is for somebody else. Well, maybe that was a bit of Paul's professional songwriter persona coming through. Right. That we hear more of in Wings. Actually. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of these songs that's kind of, like you say, I wish I heard the Beatles do it. They, there was one Billy J. Kramer that they did, like uh, they gave him uh, I Call Your Name, but then later John, I guess, didn't like how it came out. So they, they did it as part of their uh, Long Tall Sally EP. They redid it after Billy J. Kramer came out. That's an interesting song. What do you think of the Billy J. Kramer version yourself? I guess that one. I like some of his, the other ones. I, you know, I really like uh, From a Window. You know, I really like that one. But the, the I Call Your Name, I guess yeah. I haven't thought about it too much. So I, I hasn't, I don't know. I'll have to go yeah. back and think about it. What, what about you? What do you, do you like it? Well, Billy J. Kramer is just naturally going to lack that John rawness that you get on the Beatles record. So it sounds Agreed. comparatively tame, you know? Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. In fact, I was reading, there's, I think uh, one of the songs we're going to come up to, I'm in love. I read that John tried to coach Billy to get his ragged vocals, like you're referring to. Yeah, I guess that you put your finger on it. Yeah, like Lennon just has more of that. I think George called it one time the linen ripping sound or something in the, the vocals. Okay, so the foremost version really sounds like the Beatles. Is that George Martin as well? Yep, George Martin production. I got something to tell you, I'm in love. I've been longing to tell you, I'm in love. You believe me when I tell you, I'm in love with you. You're my kind of girl. You make me feel proud. You make me want to shout all around. The foremost, that was the original recording. That's the, you know, there's quotes of John saying, oh, we gave it to the foremost. But in America, the song was recorded by a short-lived West Coast band. And that's the new breed. And that is from their album, The New Breed Wants You. And it was the B-side of their single, Green-Eyed Woman. Okay. From, from 65. That's a cool name for an album. 
Can I just say? Really cool. I may go buy that today on Discogs now that <laughs> we're talking about it. So that record was a regional success in the Bay Area, their home, and other parts of California, but it was not known nationally. So that's kind of wild, you know. I'm sure John loved that. I guarantee Paul loved that. You know, we wrote this song for a band in England, and then some Californian band, probably a hippie band, <laughs> released a version that was a hit in California. <laughs> How cool is that, man? I got something to tell you. I'm in love. I've been longing to tell you. I'm in love. You believe me when I tell you. I'm in love with you. You're my kind of girl. You make me feel proud. You make me want to shout all around. Yes, I'm telling all my friends. I'm in love. Every night I can sleep. Thinking of you. And every little thing that you do. Yes, I'm telling all my friends. So that New Breed version, that sounds a lot like a West Coast band. And it is. That's what I'm saying. It, it has a whole different sort of singing style, and the production is very different. It does not have that British Invasion sound going. That's 1965, so that's a little after the original one. I think I prefer the New Breed version just for sounding like its own thing a bit more. Yeah. The foremost one sounds like a Beatles knockoff. Yeah, I dig the New Breed one. And maybe just because Andrew and I are sitting in Southern California right now, but I relate to it on a... <laughs> On a different level. Yeah, I love the demo. When I hear John's demo and the when he gets to the chorus, it's something about his vocals are like yearning that I'm surprised that he let it go, but then I'm I'm almost thinking it must be subliminally, I wonder if it was like a Arthur Alexander or a girl group kind of chorus that he was close to something that was already out there. Cause it's the demo's pretty powerful that part. So I'm like, why did he why did he give it away? But the demo's so raw, you can't really like dig, you can't like put the, de- I think it cuts out really quick, you know. It does give you a sense though of what a John version might have been like, and it, it definitely would have been more subtle, you know. I love that demo too, Andrew. That's really great. And as Andrew mentioned earlier, we have a version by Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas. It was recorded around the same time as the foremost version, but it was the foremost that John Lennon had actually written the song for, and that is the one that was selected for release. Anyway, let's hear a little bit of the Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas version of I'm in Love. Yes, I'm feeling Yes, I'm telling all my friends I'm in love 
love of the loved. Scylla Black was the uh, coat check woman at the uh, Cavern Club. So she was another one of the inner circle who was that once Brian Epstein got his management team going, uh, they wanted to help her out. And uh, I think they did it on the uh, DECA sessions, right? But um, they didn't actually record it officially, so they gave it to her. So instead of giving her their coat, they gave her a song. Right. Man, that sounds like some whimsical Paul McCartney thing. Hey, that's good, yeah. There you go. Each time I look into your eyes, I see that there, there heaven lies. And as I look, I see the love of the love. Someday they'll see that from the start My place has been deep in your heart And in your heart I see love with love Though I've said it all before I will say it more and more Now that I'm really sure you love me And I know that from today I'll see it in the way That you look at me and say Ah, you love me Maybe I like Scylla Black's version a bit better than the Beatles' version of this one. Yeah, I think I think Black's version of this song is fantastic. Really great. With arrangements by George Martin, by the way, to keep hammering the George Martin thing. I think because Elvis had all these big hits with uh, Italian ballads like uh, It's Now or Never and Surrender, Paul was in this Latin lover phase for a while on some of his early songs, like Besame Mucho and this one, you know. Which he kind of abandoned, it seemed like. Till There Was You and And I Love Her both have a kind of Latin vibe to them as well. Yeah. Yeah, and that horn part you were talking about is pretty rad. I love the arrangement that George put on this. It's a really great record and song. It reached number 35 in the UK singles charts too, so people were listening. Not a big hit, but enough of a hit. I Want to Be Your Man, which the Beatles did record, they gave to Ringo, but the version we're going to talk about is for the Rolling Stones. So November 1st, 63 in the UK, and then March in 64, this song came out. And I guess Paul had the chorus, and then they showed up to a Stones session, and Paul and John finished the track in the corner of the room. 
and then give it to them, and then that's it. And how wild is that story? It sounds like it's made up almost. Uh, the Stones manager was Andrew Lou Goldham, who was 19 at the time. He was a PR assistant for Brian Epstein. And then he was working for Brian Epstein, and then he wanted to do his own thing, and he found the Stones and became the Stones manager. But he was like walking down the street in London, and then he saw John and Paul, and he, he already knew them. So they all got in a cab together, and they said, how you doing? And he's like, well, I'm trying to get a song for my, my uh, new band. And um, so he, he got them to come over to the session. I, I always thought that was interesting that he started out as kind of a periphery guy in the Beatles circuit, you know, and then the Stones rose out of that. Interesting. Is it sacrilege if I slightly prefer the Rolling Stones version? No way. It's better. <laughs> it's better, right? Yeah, it's way better. <laughs> Although I, I like, it seems like, you know, especially when they had to play live, I guess, what do you, if Ringo's going to take a turn, you know, he can't have like complex lyrics. He's got to remember when he's like bashing away at the drums, right? He's got to just have something. And it is fun to watch him sing this one and play at the same time. It's funny, but before this, it was boys, you know? So I guess they were like, we got to give them another boys. And then, That's right. <laughs> well, this is a great boys, actually. From boys to men. There you go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> He's Nobody up, laughed. You know, he growing up in front Zero of Zero people laughed on that one. Tell me that you love me, baby. Tell me So I have a quote from John about this track. It, he says, It was a throwaway. The only two versions of the song were Ringo and the Rolling Stones. That shows how much importance we put on it. We weren't going to give them anything great, right? <laughs> speak to you it sometimes takes a week or two to think of things i want to say to you but words just stay on the tip of my tongue when the skies are not so blue there's nothing left for me to do just think of something new to say to you but words just stay on the tip of my tongue so we're moving on to tip of my tongue. Quickly moving to Tommy quickly. Yes, I I, I don't um, you know there I don't really go. I don't really care for this song. I hate this. Thing. Is that right? Why is that? <laughs> no, I don't know. I just think it's the one like real stinker out of the the group. You know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I have no no reason. It was just a gut reaction, I guess. Several takes of the song were apparently done at EMI by the Beatles. And George Martin was dissatisfied from the results. And that was in 62. Tommy Quickly's version came out August 63. So they were kicking this one around and it was just rejected, the band. And yeah, like I said, I really liked it. Did they attempt it during the Please Please Me sessions or something? I, let me just see maybe, here. Maybe this was the one yeah. where, they, where George said, look, we're going to have to do uh, this one. What was that song that they, he said, I, 
Love Me Do was all right, but I want you to record this other song. Oh, what was How Do You Do It? Right. Right. But maybe the Beatles came in after Love Me Do with this one, and he was like, look, I'm going to make you guys do How Do You Do It? And then they went away, and they're like, they came up with Please Please Me or something. I don't know. (laughs) That's right. Although I do like their version of How Do You Do It. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Is that on the anthology or something? It is, yeah. So this is one of the few songs that the Beatles did not ever officially release. But, you know, moving on from this track to just a great one, in my opinion, A World Without Love by Peter and Gordon, February 28, 1964. Yeah. What a song. Now, this is exactly the stuff we wanted to showcase on this show. Yeah, a- Absolutely. Should we say a few words about Peter Asher? Because he went on to have quite an illustrious career as a producer. Please. Well, he produced most famously Linda Ronstadt's uh, amazing albums from the early 70s to the early 80s. And that's really her, her best string of stuff right there. And James Taylor's breakthroughs as well, right? That's right. He was producing James Taylor. And so just those two artists alone in the 70s, that's pretty important contribution. And those are beautifully produced albums. It's really good work. I always thought it was like kind of an amazing story that, uh, so Paul starts dating Jane Asher and then at the height of Beatlemania, where he's no doubt like, uh, the biggest ladies man on the planet, he moves in with Jane's family in this, I don't know if it's five story or six story townhouse in London. And then he lives in the attic down the hall from Peter Asher, you know, for like, two years or three years or something yeah. like that. And uh, so that's how Peter Asher got all the inside track on these Paul songs. I guess he just went down the hall and said, hey, <laughs> help me out. Yeah. So I wait and in a while I will see my true love smile She may come, I know not when When she does, I'll know So baby, until then, lock me away And don't allow the day here inside Where I hide with my loneliness I don't care what they say I won't stay in a world without love 
So World Without Love is a really good one, and it was a huge hit, both in the UK and the US. And the funny thing is, he would, Paul would play it for John, but he would just go, please, lock me away. And John would just go, okay, or yes, okay. <laughs> and like, cut him <laughs> off. <laughs> That's so funny. So it never got... Shortest song in the world. I wonder what Lennon thought after it went number one, if, if Paul was like, ah, see, I told you it was a good song. Number one everywhere. Number one everywhere. Everywhere, except for Australia, mm-hmm. where it hit number two, but everywhere else it was number one. This is a big time song for... yeah. Peter and Gordon, and for Paul. And you know what's cool about it, too, is it sounds a bit distinctive. It's not produced by George Martin, by the way, and it doesn't have as much of the British invasion sound. Peter and Gordon kind of have their own thing going. It's nice. Yeah, Dave Dexter Jr. produced the song. He was an American journalist, an executive, and a record producer uh, for Capitol. And he worked with a lot of jazz people, Count Basie, Peggy Lee, Duke Ellington, Sinatra. So Ryan dug up this super cool little 30 second excerpt of a demo of Paul demoing it. And it sounds rather Latin there too. So he's definitely interested in Brazilian music maybe at the time. Yes. Yeah. I think that's what it, like Andrew was saying before too, the Latin lover phase. I heard that uh, Paul didn't have the bridge for the song until um, the session. And so on his way, I think I heard he wrote it <laughs> just like on the way to the session for them or something. You know? That sounds about right. <laughs> this miraculous ability he has to show, show up with a song half finished and say, oh yeah, here's the rest of it right now. He, he does that quite a few times in his career. They offered it to Billy J. Kramer, but he passed. Oh, they did? I didn't know that. Billy J. Kramer passed on this? Yeah, so he must have been kicking himself for that one. Wow, series of career mistakes by Billy J. Like, that's (laughs) too bad, man. I saw him at the Fest for Beatles fans, I think, 2015. He's still playing. He's still getting out there. How was he? Did he sound good? Did he look good? Yeah, he was cool. I mean... I don't know if he where else he plays these days, but he was he was fun. It was great singing. I call your name, but you're not there. am I to blame for being unfurred? Oh, I can't sleep at night since you've been. Speaking of Billy J, the next track we have on this list is I Call Your Name by Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas, written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney, released June 19, 1964. And this is an interesting one. Lennon was reportedly dissatisfied with Billy's arrangement of a song and how they positioned it as the B-side to the single, his single at the time. So 
That's why the, we have the Beatles version. Pretty interesting. The Mamas and the Papas also covered this song in 1966 on their debut album, If You Can Believe in Your Eyes and Ears. And Mama Cass whispers in the song, John, John, during the instrumental break. So this song was obviously liked by John, other artists at the time. I, you know, I'm not really that fond of the song myself, though. I don't, I don't ever go back to I Call Your Name. Chris, what do you, how do you feel? No, I'm always happy when that one plays. I love the John singing on that one. I think in his uh, memoir, Paul said that he thought it reflected John's feeling abandoned by both of his parents, which I would normally think I was reading too much into it, but since it's Paul saying it, I guess. If anybody can read too much into it. Yeah, and it does make sense with the lyrics. Late yesterday night, I saw a light shine from a window. And as I looked again, your face came into sight. I couldn't walk on until you gone from your window. I had to make you mine. I knew you were the one. Oh, I would be glad just to have. So from I Call Your Name, we go to a very special track, From a Window, also by Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas, July 17th, 1964. Chris, what do you think? Hey, I like this song a lot. This seems like a Beatles quality track to me. It's also a good recording by Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas. Andrew, what do you think? Lennon said that it came, quote, from his artsy period, you know, Paul's artsy period with Jane Asher. So, which I can kind of see that the way that it's kind of got that, uh, you know, formal kind of, or I I don't know what the proper word is, but I can hear that a little bit in the voice, you know, it kind of sounds like that aspect of Paul. Yeah. uh, I'm trying to remember the lyrics. Yeah. Like you, you were saying, I love the sound and this is one of my favorites, but I'm trying to remember what the lyric take is on. Is he just happy to see his lover through the window or what's going on? I can't remember. It's about seeing his, the object of his affection in her window. <laughs> a stalker song or something. <laughs> it's very pretty sounding. I mean, the way it's arranged and produced, by the way, produced by George Martin again, but the way it's produced and sung, is very cheerful. But yeah, it's one of those songs. There's some Cole Porter songs like that, like I Concentrate on You and I've Got You Under My Skin, Night and Day. They're actually very creepy, obsessive songs if you look at them. Every Step You Take by uh, the police, right? Every Step You Take is very much in that line, yes. Now, did you guys get to know the Chad and Jeremy version of this song? Yeah, I listened to it. Late yesterday night I saw a light shine from a window and as I looked again, your face came into sight. I couldn't walk on until you'd gone from your window. I had to make you mine. I knew you were the one. 
Yeah, Ryan, I provided you a link to Chad and Jeremy's appearance on the Patty Duke show. Yeah, I watched it. I liked it a lot. <laughs> Actually, the whole episode's worth watching because they're acting as kind of stand-ins for the British invasion. So they're acting so, sort of like John and Paul. They're doing that sort of thing. They're doing the mannerisms. They're dressed that way. So they're really playing the part on the episode. Thank you, love. Hi, I'm Patty Lane. Who are you? I'm Nigel. I'm Patrick. Nigel and Patrick. You must be British. How can she tell? After all, being subjects of Her Majesty the Queen. Blessed with a talent for entertaining. And in bad need of a haircut. <laughs> Naturally, we came to America to seek our fortune. How come I've never heard of you? <laughs> Who has? We're nobody so far. But you've got so much talent. Yes. And rhythm. Yes. yes. And what's more, you're kind of cute. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, then what's holding you back? Connections. We haven't got any. That's terrible. The world needs you. We're available. And I know what you need. A manager. Right. Someone with drive, enthusiasm, and contact. Right. And I know just the person. Me. You know, it's interesting. There's. They, they used to say that the early 60s was a dead period after the initial burst of rock and roll. And the before the Beatles, but then now a lot of critics say actually it was like super rich with like girl groups and James Brown and Ray Charles, but there weren't any like boy band or Elvis, you know, uh, for the little white teeny bopper girls until the Beatles came back. But, but once they, they hit or when the Beatles arrived, but then once they hit, like the whole industry totally tried to just cop that vibe to sell to the, that was like the big image to sell, I guess. So they probably were trying to imitate that, like you're saying. At the same time, though, I think a lot of those bands were legitimately doing that Beatles-esque thing. I think a lot of bands were actually doing that. And so it wasn't that hard to, once the Beatles hit big, to grab some more of them, you know? And yeah, get George Martin on the job to make him sound a little more Beatles-y, but I'm saying that's a sound I think was in the air. Yeah. Right. I think this is one of those examples of, there's like a, I say this with affection in a good way, a tweeness that Paul was definitely had more than John. That's more like, you know, the, the tie and he kind of bobs his head and very British, you know, (laughs) and John kind of was the guy who, you know, kind of was more like the scruffy, you know, dirty guy, you know, who would try to like rebel against that side of Paul. But then some of these songs, you can hear that Paulness coming through. And I think this is one of the big examples of that, from a windows couple things too just to wrap up the song so paul mccartney himself is singing on the final word on the billy j kramer version of the song that's paul 
adding a little high harmony. And both John and Paul were at the George Martin produced session for Billy J. Kramer. So we found you, Paul. Like Andrew Jackson's Where's Ringo? We found Paul hidden in the mix on this one. <laughs> I don't want to see you again. I hear that love is planned. How can I understand when someone says to me, I don't want to see you again? Why do I cry at night? Something wrong could be right. I hear you say to me, I don't want to see you again. Moving on, back to Peter and Gordon, I Don't Want to See You Again. Number 16 on the Billboard Hot 100. I I don't care for this one as much as some of the other ones, but it's pretty good. It is good, yeah. You know, you were mentioning a lot about did George Martin produce it? And uh, this one, he did not produce, and its strings are a little bit more kind of syrupy, which is originally when when George was like, he wanted to do yesterday, he put the strings on and... Paul was like, I don't want to be like, I think they say Montovani or the easy listening strings. And I think in this song, yeah. you can hear an example, a little bit of like those kind of strings that Paul didn't want and that George Martin did not do. You know, it's kind of a little yeah, more uh, sugary or something. Good point. When someone says to me, I don't want to see you again. I don't want to see you again. No, George Martin had a kind of modern style. It was not a syrupy romantic style. He really wanted things to be crisp and clear, and his arrangements are transparent. Yeah, it's amazing to think that George Martin's arrangements, his orchestral arrangements, are mostly recorded with a stereo pair. They do not have mics all over the orchestra, but the arrangements are so crisp that that's all you need to really capture them for a Beatles record. I didn't know that. It's just a stereo pair. That's crazy. XY pair. They liked XY, of course, because it would mix well to mono. Right. I'd say someday I'm bound to give my heart away when I do. It's for you. It's for you. Cilla Black is back. July 31st, 1964. Great. This one's amazing. It's one of my favorite of of this group of songs. So it does resemble anyone who had a heart insofar as it's in a triple meter 
and it's in a sort of minorish key. You know, while I was listening to it, I kept thinking of Chim Chim Cheree, the Mary Poppins song. Right. And I went and looked up the Mary Poppins song, and it is in the same key. No wonder I thought of it. It's in the same key, and it huh. has some similar, like, descending chromatic chord changes and stuff. Yeah, and it's uh, at almost exactly the same tempo with the triple meter. It's no wonder I thought of it. only me, so just tell them the right, who wants the fight? Tell them I quite agree, nobody loves me. And that's lucky too. Now as the ladder of life has been strung, you might think a sweep's on the bottom most rung. Though I spends me time in the ashes and smoke, in this sore wide world there's no happier bloke. Chim chim and me, chim chim and me, chim chim cheree. A sweep is as lucky as lucky can be. Chim chim and me, chim chim and me. Well, maybe it was in his head, yeah, who knows? Because that's around the same time, right? Mary Poppins yeah. not long before this. No, 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 not. Yeah, right, same era. Uh, when you were talking about anyone who had a heart, you know, she, she had a number one UK hit with Burt Bacharach's Anyone Who Had a Heart. Right. Anyone who ever loved could look at me and know that I love you. Anyone who ever dreamed could look at me and know I dream of you. Knowing I love you so Anyone who had a heart would take me in his arms and love me too Who couldn't be another heart that hurt me like you hurt me and be so So the idea was, having had a hit with that, maybe Paul McCartney could write a follow-up in a similar vein. And it is in a somewhat similar vein. It's not as weird rhythmically, of course, as anyone who had a heart. And it doesn't have those those Bacharach sort of strange moments where he sits on a single chord for for too long. <laughs> it doesn't have, you know, those Bacharach, you know, quirks. But it, it does have, as I said earlier, the triple meter, the minor key... And it ends up sounding more like Chim Chim Cheree than anyone who had a heart. In the press conferences in 64, uh, Paul would say he thought it was one of the best Lennon and McCartney compositions. And after the record came out, I wonder if it kind of opened his mind up towards getting orchestration on his records, like they would do the next year with Yesterday. So I, I wonder if this was kind of like an important milestone in, in Paul's career, this song. Yeah, I think it is. It probably led him on to other things, other orchestral arrangements, and that's a very good point. I, I saw a girl in my dreams, and so it seems that I will love her. Oh, you, you are that girl in my dreams, and so it seems. The next track we have up on the hip right here is Like Dreamers Do by the Apple Jacks, released June 5th, 1964. This is a cool song. I had first heard this 
during, I believe, that DECA audition tape that you had mentioned previously. What do you think of this song, Andrew? I liked it. I, you know, and I, I think McCartney on there, he's doing more Latin stuff, like he's going, ay, 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 you know, on there and everything. So yeah. It's, it's interesting, that Latin phase. And I will love you and I, waiting for your kiss, waiting for the bliss, like dreams do. And I, ay, 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 ay. So then the next track we have is the song Nobody I Know by Peter and Gordon. May 1964 in the UK, June 1964. This is a track that reached number 10 in the UK, number 12 in the US, and it was intended as a follow-up for World Without Love. It's got a great 12-string part on there, the will live on part, the harmony, that's pretty cool. But this one, you know, this one wasn't as big of a hit, and I don't particularly really care for this one either. What about you, Andrew? Yeah, I think it's a little, you know, stilted, childlike a little bit, but I like the the vocals and the bridge, and I like that 12-string guitar. It kind of reminds me of that there was that folk hit in 62, the Rooftop Singers Walk Right In, you know? So it has that yeah. kind of folk pop thing going on there, but I, I don't think it's one of the best ones. It's true, though, that the bridge has a, yeah. a nice moment. Vocals. Yeah, there's a nice little harmony moment there. We should highlight that. It means so much to be a part of a heart of a wonderful one. When other lovers are gone, we'll live on. The next track we have was intended for Billy J. Kramer, but he rejected this song. And this is One and One is Two, The Strangers with Mike Hannon. That's how it's credited. This is our last track from 1964. <laughs> like, imagine all the stuff that's going on. I like Paul McCartney's version of this demo way more than the recordings. What about you guys? It's a cool demo. Yeah, they lost his swing. He had kind of a swing in that demo, but they totally lost. One and one is two. What am I to do now that I'm in love with you? I'm hoping every day I'm going to hear you say you really make my wish come true. Can't you see when I'm holding you near? All 
They also changed the chords, you know? The McCartney demo sounds darker because the first chord in the chord progression is actually the sixth chord. So he starts on a minor chord and then proceeds from there. Whereas the other version is actually starting on the one chord, which is a major chord. So the whole thing sounds brighter. And it's it's not it's a little less rich, and it doesn't have that little bit of darkness you get from starting yeah, on the, the like minor that demo is great. They lost it, and then this one was kicked around. Billy Kramer, and then it went to the foremost. Everybody rejected this track, which you know <laughs> that's fair. John said this is another. It's a quote, another of Paul's bad attempts at writing a song. <laughs> kind of says it all right there. Two stories around it was well, first. They did the demo in a Paris hotel room in January 64. So I think they were in Paris when they heard that I Want to Hold Your Hand was number one in America. I don't know if it was like the same day or whatever, but it was like obviously a super exciting time for them. They were. But the two funny quotes was one, Lennon said, uh, Billy J is finished when he records this. (laughs) After they did the demo. (laughs) Rough. (laughs) That's a great... Then Harrison goes, uh, he, then Harrison asked, can we take out the one and one is two part? <laughs> That's like the whole hook of the song. <laughs> wow. So as early as 64, there was some songwriting yeah. antagonism. Wow. That would be fun. I they, I'd like to see Paul's face when they were saying, saying that. They, they're Lennon and George are probably like looking at each other saying that. <laughs> well, the next track I actually do really love, and that's That Means A Lot. A friend says that your love won't mean a lot And you knew that your love is all you got And times things are so fine And at times they're not But when she says she loves you, you that means a lot A friend says that a love is never true And you knew that this could apply to you A The version we'll discuss first is PJ Proby's version in 65, which reached number 24 on the NME charts. Another George Martin arrangement. How do you guys feel about that? Means a lot. I'll start with Chris. Boy, this version really mangles the song. They get the chords wrong in the first part of the verse. It's another flat six type thing, and they. Well, it's not quite flat six. It's a neat chord. But the point is they kind of screw that chord up. And then uh, we have PJ Proby himself who's doing some kind of like proto Tom Jones or is it concurrent with Tom Jones? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty hammy the way he sings it. And his video, his video is pretty hammy too. Yeah. I don't understand PJ Proby. I don't know. Like I, he's one guy I, I don't, haven't quite a, maybe I'm missing out. I don't know. Have you guys ever followed him or he's one guy from the british invasion no not really I guess he, did he even make it in, he never really made it in america it's the first time i've ever heard of him yeah no i don't really know him not quite as hammy as tom jones but <laughs> in that vein you know like a lounge singer yeah we forget how much 
the Beatles probably changed like the establishment kind of cornier style that was the style of that time, or like the easy listening, which was probably the main style. He's not able to completely destroy what an excellent song it is, but the Beatles version, however flawed the Beatles might think it is, is very much superior. Agreed. I love that version. It's pretty good. She she loves you. That means I love That one and um, the one they gave to Ringo, uh, if you think if you got troubles, I think those were both. Paul was wrote them for help, but they didn't make the cut. Now they're in a, the anthology or something. But, uh, I guess those were two that in that era that they originally thought they were going to be for the Beatles, but then they voted against it or something. Yeah, that means a lot. Would make a lot of sense on help. I guess John made the comment that they didn't quite think they could sing it. And I could sort of see that. Paul doesn't sound completely comfortable on the vocal on the Beatles version. There is something about it that doesn't quite gel the way that a Beatles record normally would. But it's a fascinating song. It's a really good song. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So another George Martin track is up next, Love in the Open Air. And so this is a theme for a movie, The Family Way. And I guess it's by the Bolting Brothers from 1966, starring John and Haley Mills. And Paul kept telling George, I will compose something for you, don't worry. And George had to like go around to his house and be like, write the thing. And he like gave him this little <laughs> bit of music that he turned into this song. Then it won, it won like the Ivor Novello Award, Award, which is like the Grammy in England or something. Now, last time you were here, I made you listen to a little bit of it, remember? Yeah, I heard that. I, I got out my Record Store Day version of it, which is a reproduction of the original soundtrack. 
And yeah, we listened to side one, I think. It's pretty good. I mean, if you like George Martin and you like, he's a pretty good composer. Of course, you know, if you've heard his contribution to Yellow Submarine, you've heard side B of Yellow Submarine, then you know he's a good composer and you know he's an excellent arranger. And it's not bad to listen to. It's a lot of different recastings of the tune that Paul gave him. So it really is George writing a lot of variations on a little tune by Paul. Quite an interesting collaboration in a way. McCartney only credited to like this tune on there or does he does he get credit on the other ones or is it just unfortunately for George Martin he's sort of credited as the composer but George Martin really is the composer what you're hearing is George Martin spinning spinning variations of a Paul McCartney tune that he had to insist Paul write so really I think of it as a George Martin score interesting that interpolates a a, uh, Paul McCartney tune because it's always like credited as like the first solo Beatles thing, but it's really not that. As a matter of fact, I've got this LP here. Let me take a look. So this is a reproduction of the original. I'm not lucky enough to have a copy of the original. And this is listed as uh, the Family Way original soundtrack recording music composed by Paul McCartney. And then George Martin, it says supervised and orchestrations arranged by George Martin. But that's not, it's really George Martin's score. Just to be clear, he, he wrote this right. music. That's yeah. funny. It's like the reverse. You usually hear about the songwriter getting screwed by the producers or something who take credit. But in this one, the producer <laughs> right. got screwed. <laughs> Have either of you guys seen this movie by any chance? No. I saw, I think I rented it, you know, 20 years ago. And I think I fell asleep like halfway through or something. So I, I... I'm impressed, Andrew, that you you had a shot at it. I assume, Andrew, that you were watching it for Beatles reasons. Yeah, although I like I like those old um, English kitchen sink kind of movies, you know, like the dramas. Okay. So I guess this was about, I think it was like a Haley Mills gets pregnant or something and moves in with the, I don't know, they, they move in with their uh-huh. parents or something. And I... Woman, do you love me? Woman, if you need me then. Woman, do you love me? Woman, if you need me, then believe me, I need you to be my woman. Should you ask me how I'm doing, what shall I say? Things are okay, well I know that they're not, 
So that moves us on to some really good material. Yeah, this is one of my favorites, Woman. This is an excellent song by Peter and Gordon. January 1966 in the U.S., February 11th, 1966 in the U.K. This is the first 5 out of 5, 10 out of 10, maybe beyond that for me on this podcast so far. I am obsessed with Woman, this song. Amazing. (laughs) And I actually prefer that Paul gave this one away. I don't think it would have been as good. This recording is good. And this is what... This is a wonderful record. Yes. Yeah. And Andrew had said earlier, this is the Bernard Webb. Oh, Bernard Webb wrote this. And then it came out that Paul had written it. And that's, you know, that's... (laughs) Cats out the bag at that point. I've got plenty of time, I've got plenty of time just to get through it. Once again, you'll be mine. Once again, you'll be mine. I still think we can do it, and you know how much I love you. I wanted to mention the arrangements because they're really very good. I don't think they're by George Martin, but it's that George Martin, very uh, crisp, modern style I was talking about earlier. Arranged by Bob Piper. Never heard of him, but congrats to Bob Piper. Very good arrangement. It was announced on the April 11th, 1966 broadcast of the U.S. TV show Hullabaloo when they played this song. Wow, this Bernard Webb is an amazing talent. He could even be like Paul McCartney. <laughs> and it was <laughs> Paul McCartney. <laughs> so <laughs> Now, we just have a few seconds of Paul playing this during the Get Back session. I guess it, it's not that illuminating, really, to listen to. No. You can play it, though. Why not? Yeah, it tells us that he liked the song, and it occurred to him to just start playing it. Yeah. This is the only example of a John Lennon and Paul McCartney song where they wrote a different composition, melody, lyrics, but they have the same title. So They use the word woman in the same way rhythmically. It's both woman on a downbeat, woman, if you love me, woman, I can hardly express. It's that same kind of woman. I, I just wonder if maybe John did pull that up subconsciously. I bet he did. Thank 
next track we have is a song called Cat Call by Chris Barber's jazz band from 1967. And I had never heard this song before. And I think it's really? amazing. I think it's hilarious. It's <laughs> This is one of my late 90s What the Hell Is This songs. Yeah. Right. I found this one during my first Napster period. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> yeah. And so... The section where he says, please play slower, is the session producer, Giorgio Gomlinski. And it sounds like Paul, but it's not. But I think that is Paul saying the woohoo at 207 on this track. That little McCartney yelp. Uh-huh. <laughs> really good stuff. I, I love this one. I, I heard this yesterday for the first time. I'd never heard this before. Chris Barber is 87. Whoa. Still around. He was a trombonist who played bass on Rock Island Line, which this Rock Island Line started the whole skiffle craze, and that got Lennon, you know, Lennon to start his band. The slower part is actually pretty fun. That's when they really dig in and start with the actual cat calls. Yeah. It's odd to think of it as a Paul McCartney tune. The tune itself doesn't sound particularly McCartney-ish to me. Nah, but it's great. Please play slower! Slower! The Beatles did that, courted a rehearsal at the Cavern Club in 62 for it. They called it Cat's Walk back then. It's like a Ventures kind of instrumental. But I think it was called Cat's Walk, and then they changed it to Cat Call. So does that bring us to the dreaded gotta sing, gotta dance? What do you mean dreaded exactly? Well, in the sense that I hate it. <laughs> so I guess I dread it. Well, okay. That's that's all fair. That's all good. It's like the song is three different genres of music. <laughs> and I guess it was originally written for Twiggy yeah. for the James Paul McCartney special in 73. And that's where, you know, the recording that we have is from. I think that video is pretty cool. Right. With the legs and the... The dancers really? with the half men, half woman. I think it's just weird. It's just so bizarre. <laughs> it's weird. I mean, it's one of those 70s variety show type things, though. I saw a lot of them as a kid. Yeah, you're right. It is a little unusual with the half dancers, I guess we'll call them. I guess that was very glam, right? It was the glam era, so they're androgyny and everything. Yeah, and you had those specials, like those Carpenter specials, where they do all sorts of sort of wacky, gimmicky things along with just the straight songs. So it kind of reminds me of that. People call me a stick in the mud But it's certainly not true Who could call me a stick in the mud 
When I polish my tonsils and put on my dancing shoes. When I get that feeling at the end of my toes, gonna go in a trance. I get an itchy feeling at the end of my nose, gonna sing, gotta dance, gotta sing. Gotta dance, though there may not be much time for romance. Gotta sing, gotta dance. I'm gonna sing, I'm gonna dance. When I hear that old train whistle blow, all the notion line are getting ready to go. Like a runaway horse, I'm unable to stop. I can feel my feet go clippity clop. Clippity clop. Unable to stop. So don't stop. Next on the hit parade, we're back to to the black. Step inside, love. Released March eighth, nineteen sixty eight. This is my favorite of hers and Paul's together. Like, and you know, I mean, even Elvis Costello covered this song. Like, there's something to this record. Let's play a little bit of that Elvis. Step inside, love. Let me find you a place where all the cares of the day will be carried away by the smile on your face. We are together now and forever. Come what may, step inside love. It's a nice way to set it up. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a really cool demo of this too, down a fourth. And it is a little low for her, but I sort of like the way she's singing down there. Yeah. And it's Paul playing fantastically on guitar on this demo. Step inside, love. Let me find you a place Where the curse of the day will be carried away by the smile on your face We are together now and forever Come my way Step inside love And stay Step inside love Step inside love Step inside love I want you to stay Let me turn down the light Coming out of the cold Rest your head on my shoulder And love me tonight I'll always be here If you should need me Night and day Step inside love And stay Step inside love and so I guess they came up with this demo right after he finished the song. They were right there in the studio and recorded it. Hot off the skillet, like the, speaking of Elvis, like the Paul and Elvis demos. This is a special demo. Yes, it's very good. And then I understand that the demo that you're talking about was the basis for the single. 
and you know, the transposition you're talking about, Paul had had to add a verse, a second verse, and it, it literally just came from him looking at her when he showed up to a, a television rehearsal of like, you look tired, love. That's Paul saying that to her. Oh, you look tired. Okay, now that's in the song. Yeah. You look tired, love. Let me turn down the light. Coming out of the cold, rest your head on my shoulder and love me tonight. I'll always be here if you should need me. Night and day, step in. What I find really fascinating is that Black revealed that the song was banned in South Africa due to fears that the lyrics contained hidden sexual elements. And you're like, where? <laughs> inside? Uh, okay. Step inside. Oh, inside I, I, that's a little bit of a stretch, isn't it? But I, I get Pretty it. Pretty racy. Pretty racy. Such a... <laughs> so silly. It was slip inside, love. I could see it more than like step inside. Whoa, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Step inside love, I want you to Step inside love, you know I do Step inside love, I want you to stay Yeah, this is great stuff. I think this is a beautiful song. The actual record is George Martin, correct? Yes. Scylla Black was one of George Martin's you know, main artists at the time, actually. So this is a fantastic record. It's got a little bit of a, you can tell that Bacharach was in the air. And this has a little bit of a Bacharach feeling to me. Bacharach was doing the Latin thing a lot too. He was incorporating some bossa nova rhythms in a very straight, white sort of way. But he was doing it. And this has a little bit of that going on to me. There's a little bossa nova in this. And George Martin's arrangement with the horns and everything seems a little bit Bacharach-esque. Yeah, definitely. Up next... Thingamabob by the Black Dyke Mills Band, released in 1968. Another instrumental. This was an Apple single, and that band was on Apple. Paul wrote this for them, and it became the Yorkshire television comedy show theme song, uh, which was first on in August 1968. I think this is cool. It's, it's very British. I don't hear anything very McCartney-like about it, which is a compliment to Paul, you know, writing in this capacity. He can be a chameleon this way. It almost sounds like an alternate version of a Monty Python theme, something like that. Yeah, I thought of that too, yeah. All of that stuff. Big brass. It's like summertime in Mm -hmm. England music. You're out. The brass band is on the courtyard and all of that. Black Dyke Mills Band was formed around 1816, so maybe maybe he gave them a sketch, and by the time they just put it into their template or their formula for everything, it got mutated beyond what we would recognize. Something very super old British. And I don't know who did the actual arrangement either, because it's not Paul, of course. He It would be a bit like Family Way. He would have given them a tune, and they would have, or somebody would have arranged it. I think it's to what Andrew's saying. He gave the song to the band, and they figured it out, and that's where the recording came from. It's, it's pretty cool that we have it, though. 
Very interesting. So the B-side to this is Yellow Submarine. It's a very elaborate Yellow Submarine arrangement and worth checking out. You know, could I give a shout out to one before we move on from 69 or 68 into 69? Could, it's kind of uh, tenuously connected to Paul, but it's a, it's a George song. But I think it was the first one he gave away, you know, uh, um, Sour Milk Sea in 68 to Jackie Lomax. But it has this, the uh, lyric was get back to where you should be. I think uh, Paul kind of lifted the George song that he gave away for get back. Hmm. More of it's in the air. And Paul played on that tune too, actually, the Sour Milk Sea, along with George and Ringo and Clapton. Do you know what Paul played? Was it bass? The guys on the record are George, Paul, Ringo, Eric Clapton, and pianist Nicky Hopkins. So presumably Clapton and Harrison would have been guitar, so maybe, yeah, probably bass, although I couldn't confirm that. It was a song after the when they were at the, when they visited the Maharishi. George wrote it about if you're in a sour milk sea. I guess if you're depressed, you know, then try meditation. Kind of thing. If your life's not That leads us right into Goodbye, the Mary Hopkins song, released in 1969. This is another one for me where I think the demo beats the hell out of the actual recording, but this is a great song. It was a big hit for her, reached number two in the UK singles charts, and it was only prevented from reaching the top position because of the Beatles' Get Back that Andrew had actually just mentioned. In the US, it was released the 7th. April 69, and it reached number 13 in the singles charts, and it hit number one in the Netherlands. And this was a follow-up to her song, Those Were the Days, which is also really, really good. You know, more Apple Records music. 
I know, Chris, you, you have some opinions on this track. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, the demo is some of Paul McCartney's best singing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's really beautiful. He, he sounds as if he could sing anything right at that moment. Yeah, really true. Really amazing. Yeah, you're right. The demo is something really special. Please don't wake me up too late. Tomorrow comes and I will not be late. produced by Paul McCartney as are quite a few tracks on that album. That's the album Those Were the Days. And that's a really cool album. It's a bit of Baroque pop, actually, and it has moments of sunshine pop. For example, there's a song called uh, Tema Harbor, the third track on the album, which is classic sunshine pop and even includes the word sunshine, sunshine, repeated. So, yeah. This is a really cool album, 69, and McCartney had a big hand in this. He produced tracks 1, 2, 7, 8, and 10 on this album. And the McCartney tracks really stand out. We're talking Those Were the Days, Goodbye. Let's see, that's Lontano Degli Ochi. That's arranged by McCartney and produced by McCartney. Track 8, Sparrow. And track 10, The Fields of St. Etienne. You know, uh, the instrumentation on the title track, Those Were the Days, it's got this remarkably old-timey sound, as does Goodbye, the track we're interested in here. Actually, the guitar at the beginning of that track, played by Paul, very much in Paul's style, really close-miked, sounds almost double-tracked, maybe it's double-tracked. Yeah. And he provides this little guitar introduction before the horns come in with the bump, 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 bump. So it's a very music hall kind of sound on the actual record.
everybody should check that out for sure. And check out the whole album. And actually, her next album, Postcard, is pretty good, too. You know, with this song, I had a uh, funny story. Um, when I was about 15, I started I started getting bootlegs. And um, I might have got this bootleg of the, the Black Album first, which was like Get Back Sessions. It was like a triple album, and they... They included like a poster in there that looked like the White Album poster, but it was, you know, get back sessions. But I think the second bootleg I got was called File Under Beatles, which had, that means a lot. And like, if you've got troubles and all these, it's kind of like a lot of anthology songs before, you know, this was like 15 years before the end or like 10 years before the anthology. But they had Goodbye on there, Paul's demo of it. And I listened to it and it was it was so beautiful, and it was one of those experiences where you think you've heard a song before, but you haven't, but it just sounded like something that haunted you from the past or something. But uh, then I remember he, he was singing, My Lover Calls Me to His Side. Because, <laughs> you, know? I, I, you know, yeah, I guess he did the demo with her in mind, you know, but uh, but I didn't know that when yeah. I heard it. So. Yeah, he goes ahead and sings it as if he's her, yeah. So. Paul forgot that he wrote this song. He didn't even know it. This is a few years ago, and I guess he said he wrote it in a hurry to capitalize on Mary's popularity at the time, and because he was told by a boat skipper on some vacation that he was on, that he was like, hey, that was my favorite song of yours, and he was like, what? What's, what is that? And he like sang it back to him, and he's like, oh yeah, I think I remember that, and he's like, the quote Paul said, he's like, if you think of it from a sailor's point of view, it's very much a leaving the port song. Well, one last little point I'd like to make about goodbye. In our Flowers in the Dirt episode, we mentioned Paul McCartney's excellent knee slapping work on Put It There. And you can actually see that in one of the making of videos. Well, Paul does some excellent knee slapping for the entire record of Mary Hopkins' Goodbye. And it's good stuff. And he nails it. Like, it's really rhythmically in the pocket. You just got to wonder if it doesn't hurt after a while. I guess you do one pass and that's it, right? You can't just do take after take slapping your knees, right? Probably not. Anyway, if you listen to the record, note the knee slapping. It's really good. (laughs) Next track we have up on the hit parade is Panina.
Panina was written by McCartney at the Hotel Panina in December 1968 when he was vacationing in the Portuguese region of the Algarve. The song was first recorded by the band Jadahir, but a month later it was also recorded by Carlos Mendes, a member of the Portuguese group The Sheiks, and that he was in that group until 1967. This is another song that I had never heard before, and I'm obsessed with it right now. I'm sure I'll get over it soon. But what a track. What a weird record too, huh? It's got that ambiguous introduction on the piano where you don't know what key you're in. Yeah. What, it's beautiful, whichever the arrangements and the, the music. And then I, I get a little disappointed though, because it's such a gorgeous, the whole thing's gorgeous. And then he's just going, Panina, Panina, like over and over. I wish if it just That's had right. a little bit more lyrics, I think it could have been like a classic or something. I agree. I agree. Yeah, because such a great tune, and I don't know which one you listen to, but for me, the Carlos Mendez one is the better one with the bigger arrangement. Really beautiful, really sweeping quality to it. I love it. Yeah, I just that that always hits me though when he just keeps repeating Panino over. I just wish they would have just yeah. thrown in a few. <laughs> have a Beatles demo or a Beatles jam called Panina, but to my ear it has very little to do with the song we finally get called Panina. Yeah, it doesn't sound anything like it. I guess he liked that name though a lot, huh? He was thinking about it in the Get Back sessions. He must have, yeah. So everybody knows this track, or at least Beatles fans do. Come and Get It, Badfinger, January 12th, 1970. This is a Paul McCartney solo demo that he did July 24th, 1969, when he arrived early for a Beatles recording session of Abbey Road. Now he did everything on that record in less than an hour, which is really unbelievable. And I feel like we've touched on this song. <laughs> Sounds great, too. Even Ian McDonald, who... Yeah wrote the book Revolution in the Head, said this is by far the best unreleased Beatles song. 
you guys have thoughts on it Let, let's start with chris well now i love me some bad finger so i'm always happy to hear bad finger and i like bad fingers version a lot and what bad finger adds of course are the harmonies and the harmonies do kind of make that record for me okay so that's missing from mccartney's demo but look you know if you get uh, john and george to come in and add those harmonies and you know add a few more guitars holy lord that's a great beatles record holy lord indeed Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, I think he was commissioned to write it because Ringo was in The Magic Christian, which was a like a Peter Sellers movie about a millionaire who gives all his money away yes. to everybody. A great movie, too. Very funny movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how much uh, Paul wrote it because, okay, I got to bang out a tune for this movie. And then he was like, wait, this, <laughs> I wonder if he regretted it later. But it, I also thought it was funny. It kind of like paralleled what was going on with Apple. You know, for a while they were like uh, giving away, they were saying, come in. Or the PR anyway was like, send us your demos and we'll, you know, uh, give you money if we think you're, if you're, uh, if we like you, you know. So it almost kind of matched the whole spirit around Apple at the time. But um, a fool and his money. A fool and yeah, that fool. I think that was one of the things that kind of broke him up, unfortunately, <laughs> to Apple. But uh, but I remember he he read, he told to Badfinger to to do it exactly like his demo. Don't change anything, and you'll have a hit if you don't change anything on my demo. That doesn't sound like Paul McCartney, does it, to say something like that? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, 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 he he's not into control or anything, that Paul. Well, they do actually reproduce the demo pretty well, but they get a little more of that edgy, bad finger sound that you, know, you get more of on their first couple albums, but you can hear that little edginess, that little bad finger quality. It's a little bit of a rock edge there. It's nice. This song was also a hit for the band. It peaked at number seven in the U.S., number four in the U.K., It's just a delight and a treat, and I'm glad we have all of the different versions. Great stuff. Sunsets painting up the sky There's something in my eye Why am I crying? 
come up to me and say It's gonna be your day Why are they lying? It's the Something to do with the fact that I've been feeling blue since Friday. You came in with him again. Suddenly I knew it wasn't my day. Oh no, well, anyway. Okay, so that moves us on to Fourth of July by John Christie. John Christie's an interesting character. I actually looked up some of his stuff from the early 70s, and he seems to have been a little bit of a David Cassidy-type image. Yeah, that makes sense. In particular, I found a track called Here's to Love that incorporates Auld Lang Syne, and it really has a lot of the feel of like a Gilbert O'Sullivan song. Uh, The sort of pacing of the vocal melody is a lot like Alone Again Naturally. Here's to me, here's to love. Very soon you wonder why You never did all the things that you wanted to do But being here alone with you Remembering all those happy moments We shared as two Building our lives in a way that only lovers know how to do And by the way I'm still very much in love with you what I'd like to say wouldn't have it any other way here's to you here's to me here's to love really doesn't matter what the future holds we'll see you through after all you got me and I got you It's definitely that early 70s sort of slightly kitschy Britpop sort of sound. Yes. And he's an excellent singer. Really great singer. What do you think of the song? I love the song. It's a little odd, 4th of July. It kind of comes out of nowhere. But McCartney's demo finally really sold me on the song. Having heard the John Christie a number of times over the years, it really wasn't until I heard that demo on the Venus and Mars Archive edition that I really thought, wow, okay, this is a fine Paul McCartney song. Of course, he sings it very beautifully in the demo. Yeah, 
why am I crying? It's the 4th of July. It is very bizarre, the lyric. It's like, what do you mean? Yeah, it's a strange lyric. What do you mean? What? Why is the 4th of July? Is that supposed to be? Maybe you are crying on the 4th of July because you're so happy that you live in America. Or maybe so happy that you don't live in America. I'm I'm not really... I don't get it. But it's, yeah, it's be- again, like the goodbye demo and all these different demos that we've talked about. Great singing by Paul. Still, this is a good record. Any idea how John Christie came to do this? At the request of Dave Clark, he asked Paul if he could provide him a song because he was working with this artist named John Christie. And it's as simple as that. Okay. I noticed the record label is Dave Clark Records. Yeah, so that's it right there. Lover, let's be in love with each other. Tonight is the flight of the butterfly. Let's From there, you have Let's Love by Peggy Lee, same year, 1974. There are a few of this year, so Paul was writing for others again. And we, f- I first heard this song. There's a medley, Suicide, Let's Love, All of You, and I'll Give You a Ring from the one-hand clapping sessions that he did around the Venus and Mars era time. And... I really like Peggy Lee's version. I think it's really, really great. The arrangement is actually by Dave Grusin. I actually have my vinyl copy of Peggy Lee Let's Love right here. It's, I would say, not a great album. It's an attempt to sort of bring Peggy Lee up to a sort of 1974 sound. And Dave Grusin, by the way, uh, as I said, he did the actual arrangement on Let's Love, and he produced and arranged the rest of this album. He's a pretty important guy. He's a film composer. He wrote the music for The Graduate, On Golden Pond, Tootsie, and The Goonies. Yeah. And he was an arranger on all kinds of things. Uh, I think of him mainly as the guy who wrote the Tootsie song, which is sung by Stephen Bishop. Beautiful little song. Beautiful little slice of adult contempo there. But that's Dave Grusin. So he's mainly responsible for this album. The title track, Let's Love, however, is supposedly produced by Paul McCartney, arranged by Dave Grusin, produced by Paul McCartney. And it does actually sound a bit different from the rest of the album. The rest of the album is an attempt to get her into a slick 1974 studio sound. But as you know, Let's Love is orchestral. 
Right. Well, show me you find it a pleasure to know me. Tonight is the flight of the butterfly. Let's love Come along We're on our own Yeah, yeah And if nobody calls us We might spend a night On our own Well, what do you think of this one? I think it's I think it's a fine song. I, it's not one that I go back to all the time. I, it's I heard the story. It was that Paul went to dinner or he went to some party with Peggy Lee, and instead of buying a bottle of wine, he gave her a demo of a song. It was like, "Do you want this?" And I think that that's from the One Hand Clapping documentary. It's a beautiful melody. Yeah, I love it. So, yeah, it has a very classical minor key kind of quality to it. Yeah. Let's love. Yeah, so the next track then, Mine for Me, Rod Stewart, 1974. It was recorded as a track for his album Smiler. And when it was released as a single that year, it became a minor hit in the U.S. I mean, very minor. And Paul's doing the background vocals on parts of the chorus. I, yeah. I couldn't tell that that was Paul. I had to look that up. It doesn't stick out at all that it's Paul. I always liked the song. This is another of the early discoveries I made in the, in the late 90s. You know, I got out Smiler, or I pulled it up on Apple Music this morning, and poked around a little bit. And this song sounds pretty much like the rest of the album. It's very much a Rod Stewart 1974 sound, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I don't hear Paul's hand in the production at all. And the production is so Rod Stewart 1974, it slightly obscures the McCartney-ness of the tune. But if you listen closely, it's very much a McCartney tune. Yeah, for sure. The website, uh, the Paul McCartney Project, says um, in an interview in 73, Paul was asked, you know, why did you do 6 o'clock for Ringo? And so he said, Paul said, I would do it for any friend. I would do it for Rod Stewart if he rang up. And so somebody told Rod Stewart, so <laughs> Rod Stewart called him. And uh, then so Paul wrote, uh, mine for me. Uh, and Paul says, it was just the result of another drunken night, I suppose. It's nice to write for someone like Rod because he's got such a distinctive voice. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, he does have a distinctive voice. In a couple of hours, I'll be driving home to the one I love. So save your breath, sweet painted lady, it won't be me. Over the mountain and under the sea, there'll never be another. 
was only an hour or so ago Then I sang my song Persuaded, painted ladies That I could set them free Yeah, yeah Over the mountain And under the sea There'll never be another one Like mine for me Well, you brought up Ringo. That's the next track on the list of a few Ringo tracks. You know, you brought up Six O'Clock. We had mentioned that song way back when, I believe in our Band on the Run era episode. Pure Gold, 1976. This is a Wings record, basically. You got Denny on it. They took a break during the Wings Over America tour, made the backing track. Linda's on there. Ringo sang the song the 19th of June, 76. And it's supposedly about Ringo's then-girlfriend, Nancy Andrews. I have no complaints about Pure Gold. I actually like a lot of these Paul-Ringo collaborations. Tell me, is she everything I see? Or is she really not the one for me? This is from Ringo's Roto-Gravure, is that right? That's the one. Yeah. Otherwise, pretty unremarkable album. Yeah, this would be the standout song on there. Yes, absolutely. Oh, this one had, I think, John's cooking tune, too. Cooking in the Kitchen of Love, that's right. So that brings us to more Ringo. Yes. Attention. Attention. Everybody wants to smile Everybody needs a mention Attention, attention for a while Come on baby, give it all you've got Get into Nineteen eighty-one. I actually really love this little track. What about you, Chris? Me too. Actually, as Ringo albums go, "Stop and Smell the Roses" is pretty decent. We well, yeah, also "Private Properties" on that record too, which is the next track, and that's another McCartney song, which uh-huh. is which is good, but not as good as "Attention." Time can run away. 
tension's the standout here. Private property, I'm not so sensitive to claims of possession in <laughs> in rock songs. I know there's a whole you belong to me, will you be mine type thing, but private property, it's a bit much. <laughs> right. She's my private property. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> it probably wouldn't go over well today. No. No. <laughs> well, Ringo has a lot of those, like you're 16, you're beautiful, and you're mine, like all of that stuff. Yeah. Ringo, man. <laughs> yeah. Private property, don't run off with it, you'll be breaking the law. Love monopoly, my philosophy, don't go fooling with private property. She's mine, she belongs to me, and we'll get on fine as long as you agree. Private property, private property. Well, these two songs, Attention and Private Property, they sound like the rest of the album, I would say, they, and they sound quite a bit like each other. Paul had a hand in arranging and producing on those, right? He was present at the sessions. Yeah, they met in France in July. You know, Ringo did Caveman, I think in early 1980, and then afterwards he just called Paul to help him do some songs for the next album and they met up in France and they did those two songs and uh, Sure to Fall, an old um, song they used to do in the cavern, which was also on the BBC Beatles album. Chris, for us, Juber's on guitar on these tracks. So Lawrence makes an appearance. Nice. Uh, it's another, actually, Juber Wings moment, in a way. Yeah. Do you remember when Juber was saying, well, Wings didn't disband until, like, after the 80s had started? I was like, when I was re-listening to that episode, I'm like, what is he talking about? And I was like, oh, yeah, these songs. <laughs> there was still some session work that was yeah. being done in preparation for Tug of War and all that stuff. So. Next track I have down is John Williams, and not Chris's John Williams. John Williams, a classical guitarist, honorary counsel. Right. And so this, the other great John Williams. The other, yes. <laughs> and this is like a nylon guitar 
piece against, it sounds like cinematic music. Another tune I had never heard until researching for this episode. Same here. I was not familiar with this. I'd seen it listed here and there, but I'd never actually heard it. And interestingly, the the version I came across was some guy playing it on his own stereo and making a video of himself playing it on his turntable. One of those. (laughs) (laughs) So it's that obscure, apparently. Yeah, it's obscure. And it's for a movie. But I don't know much about the movie, though. The movie, all I could really find was that it's a 1983 British-Mexican drama directed by John McKenzie. And Michael Caine's in it, Richard Gere, Bob Hoskins, uh, among others. It's based on a novel by Graham Greene. And the title's a reference to the diplomatic position known as an honorary council. And so you can look all of this stuff up online and dig into the plot of the movie but you know this is music for that movie and it did not do well in the box office it was an eight million dollar picture and it only made six back so maybe this is why we don't know about it when i love i get a feeling like i'm traveling through the sky So that brings us to possibly the big one of the whole episode. Yeah, this is the song that everybody on social media constantly, I don't know if they were complaining about it, but they reference it like either we don't know it or we don't know, we didn't didn't know where it fit or something. And like Chris said at the beginning of the episode, well, we always sort of had planned on this as a catch-all. And here you go, folks, on the wings of a nightingale. By the Everly Brothers, 1984. Very aware of it. It was a one of my favorite songs in 1984 because that was my first big Paul McCartney period, and I used to go to my grandmother's house who had MTV, and the only way I could hear the song at the time was to go to her house and wait for it to come up on MTV. I loved it. I think I finally made a tape of it from the television or something. <laughs> This is from their album EB84, which Dave Edmonds produced. I love Dave. He's a great musician. And it was the Everly's most popular 
song since maybe 1970 or so. And it was their final single to chart on the Billboard 100. And on the US Billboard Hot AC chart, the singles chart, it hit number nine. So this was a big hit for the Everly Brothers. And the dem- Paul's demo, that's great too. That's a great little recording. It is. So hold my hand. I've got a feeling that a journey has just begun. On the wings of a lightning tail. If you like, we fly together to the land of eternal sun. On the wings of a nightingale of love. High above. on to the next song we don't have to speak too much on it Yvonne or Yvonne's the one we had discussed this in a previous episode 10cc from 1995 this is the official release and it sucks the 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 official version not Paul's beautiful acoustic demo and I'm including in here because I know Andrew you have some things to say about it you wrote about it and still the greatest and I'd love to hear your take on it now yeah i actually found paul's demo before i knew the 10 cc version and i you know i loved it, it kind of reminded me of i will but much more bittersweet so i i think mccartney's version is great So check out that previous episode, folks, if you want to hear some more about that song. But Andrew, I really appreciate you giving your take on that. Well, you know, while we have you here, like I said before, it's an honor to have you here. You know, we only have two more songs on this list. I can't believe we have almost made it through. And then I'll read a list of songs if there's any little things, because we probably have to wrap this one up. It's a long one here. So if I take you home tonight. In 2016, so no, so we're jumping about 20 years into the future. This is a song Paul wrote for the Kisses on the Bottom sessions, but he left it unused. He had played this for the producer of the record, and then he's like, well, why don't you try to write some more songs for the album? And that's where my Valentine came from. And so Diana Krall took this song and released it in 2016 on a record of hers. And this is this is a pretty good song. It reminds me of that song I Wanna Come Home, Paul did, I think in 2009 for another soundtrack. It's this late era McCartney. But the producer of that album thought it was a wing song when Paul had played it for him for Kisses on the Bottom. 
And he's like, well, do you have anything else? He thought it was already released. If I take you home tonight I will think of songs to sing to you Music filled with joy and light If I take you home tonight If I tell you how think of this track wow i love this track uh, i was listening to diana crawl's studio version of it and it is fantastic great arrangement great playing by everyone involved and a wonderful vocal by diana crawl perfect song for her too yeah really good elvis wrote a song for her called the girl in the other room and this actually reminds me a little bit of that is Songbird in a Cage by Charlotte Gainsbourg from 2017 and this one snuck past me I had no clue this came out it was a song Paul wrote in 2011 and she had lunch with him it was like if you ever have something that you don't want to release that I could have and I guess Paul showed up at her recording session or sent her a tape they went to Electric Ladyland in 2016, and they Paul's on the record, helped produce it, and he was like bouncing around the studio like a kid. And I heard it once, and I was like, "Oh, I don't know if I like this," but it's like it's been growing on me. It doesn't even really sound like a Paul song. It sounds like something out of McCartney too. I did not know what to make of this. 
And I would never have recognized it as a Paul McCartney song. I guess McCartney 2 or Fireman, maybe. But not Electric Arguments Fireman, but maybe the, the earlier, more purely electronic Fireman. Atlantic Ocean, maybe? Yeah, could be. I guess he played a lot of the instruments on it. So I don't know if he was calling the shots, but he was definitely in the studio playing playing instruments on the record. So yeah, kind of. Oh, so it is a McCartney 2 type deal. And who knows if this, this is what his new album that he's, at the time of us recording this, we haven't heard the album after new yet. And maybe this is what he's doing because he's supposed to have a new record coming out soon. But so that wraps up this main list we have. We made it all the way through. The songs we already covered, I just want to whip through those real quick. B-Side to the Seaside, Susie and the Red Stripes. Dance the Dew by McGear, Giddy, Roger Daltrey, Leave It, McGear, Liverpool Lou, Scaffold, New Moon Over Jamaica by Johnny Cash. Send Me the Heart, that's that Denny Lane track that is technically a, a... is not a Paul McCartney co-write. But that's neither here nor there. That's something we learned from Denny. Six o'clock, the six o'clock extended or the reprise or whatever you want to call it. Suicide, which Paul tried to give to Frank Sinatra, but he rejected. Sweet Baby, that's McGear, and then Veronica. So we also have this extended list of Beatles tracks and I'll roll through it. And then guys, stop me if you want to talk about something. So you have by three by Billy Preston, My Sweet Lord, All Things Must Pass, and Sing One for the Lord. That's from 70. Those are written by George. Several songs by Doris Troy, which are either by George or George and Ringo from 1970. Ain't That Cute, Give Me Back My Dynamite, great title. Gonna Get My Baby Back, (laughs) Jacob's Ladder, and You Give Me Joy Joy. Two tracks by Ronnie Spector from George in 71. Try Some, Buy Some, and Tandoori Chicken. John and Yoko wrote a song for Billy Elliot and the Elastic Oz Band in 71 called God Save Us. On the Ringo album, you have George, who wrote You and Me, Babe. That's 73. Everybody knows I'm the Greatest by Ringo, written by John in 73. Did George write a Sunshine Life for me, too? Yeah, I think there's another George song on there. Yep. Nailed it. Rock and Roller from Billy Laurie. Ringo on that 73 album. Mucho Mungo by Harry Nilsson. That was written by John in 74. Ringo got It's All Down to Goodnight Vienna. It's all da-da down, <laughs> actually, to Goodnight <laughs> Vienna in 74. David Bowie's Fame. That's a co-write with John Lennon, and he's on the record, too, from 75. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think all John wrote on that one was just going, fame, in the background, you know, which is, it makes it cool, but uh, it's funny. John wrote a song for Guthrie Thomas in 75 called Band of Steel. Then you mentioned Ringo's song by John in 76, Cooking in the Kitchen of Love. George wrote for Ringo, same year, I'll Still Love You. Then in, we're all the way in 80 now. Ringo and Harry Nilsson wrote a song for Harry called How Long Can Disco Go On? And that's a wild one. You should check that one out. <laughs> George wrote these last four for first Ringo in 81, Rack My Brain. Eric Clapton has two, Run So Far and That Kind of Woman. And Run So Far actually appears on George's last album, 
brainwashed George did a version, so I did not know that. There's a George Eric version of that. And then Gary Moore also covered that kind of woman in 90. So if we miss something, write us, track us down, let us know. We're going to put a playlist of all this stuff up, and you will add it to that. So, Chris, Andrew, any last words? I just remember when I was um, probably like 12 or something, there was this Beatles book I got. Uh, it was called uh, The Beatles on Record by J.P. Russell that uh, broke down every song. And, uh, and then, and then it also just covered all the albums, which had been released up to that time. And they, it covered this book. I mean, this album that came out in 1970 called the songs Lennon and McCartney gave away that had been compiled by a journalist named Martin Lewis and, uh, EMI put it out this compilation. Maybe they thought, Oh, the Beatles are breaking up. So let's, we gotta make as much money as we can here or something. But so they put out a compilation of i think most of the 60s tunes that we covered but uh i think the record's out of print but it i don't know if they've put it up on youtube or not it's kind of superfluous at this point but uh but i remember that was the first time it was kind of interesting that this whole concept i remember huh you know like this so there's more to more to check out i actually found out about a lot of these songs from that book blackbird by giuliano which is a questionable book in a lot of ways but at the end of the book it does list it's a pretty decent discography or at least it was for the time and it lists a lot of these songs he gave away and that's why i was able to look them up explicitly on limewire and napster and bearshare uh, i wasn't just discovering them i had this list and so things like catcall penina i'm on there trying to find them and damn if i didn't find them and it was stunning Finding not only all of that Return to Pepperland stuff, but also all of these songs he gave away. I probably knew maybe one-third of the songs we discussed today back in the late 90s. Wild. It's interesting. Before, like LimeWire and Napster, it would to find out about this, it would have cost thousands of dollars or something, you know, to, to track all these records down. This sets us up perfectly for our next episode, which we're really excited for you all to hear. We're going to be doing Flaming Pie. And so the Beatles are back together for one last time, or maybe the second to last time. We'll discuss that on the album too. Paul's been saying some things about some other song that they still have unreleased, but that just about wraps it up. We have some special guests on that next episode as well, right? That's right. And you'll just have to wait to find out who exactly those guests are well our guest today andrew grant jackson has been fantastic and we want to thank him oh thank you guys for having me we couldn't do this show without you i look at that book still the greatest for every single episode we do just to make sure like did he pick out a song for this era like what are the highlights what are the facts it's really great check that out we're going to be giving away some of andrew's books on our website so watch out for that. We're going to be doing that when we drop this episode. You can get a copy of Still the Greatest and maybe a couple others. We'll, we'll figure that out in a bit. But Andrew, do you want to plug that book? In 1973. Uh, well, I've got to turn it into the publisher in October, so I'm not sure when it'll come out. Hopefully next year. But uh, maybe down the road I can give you guys an update when I have a date on that. But oh, in July, the paperback version of 
of my book, 1965, Most Revolutionary Year in Music, is coming out. It's been in hardcover, but the paperback comes out in July. Well, that's great. Fantastic. Congratulations on all of that. You're, thanks for being a friend of the show, and come back anytime you'd like, all right? Oh, will do. Thank you. All right, and we'll go out with a little preview of our next episode. Sounds good. When you're wide awake, say it for goodness sake, it's gonna be a great day. While you're standing there, get up and grab a chair, it's gonna be a great day. And it won't be long, no, no, it won't be long, it won't be long, no, no. Hey everybody, Ryan here. I want to say thank you to every single person that has sent a donation into our show. If we did not have those donations, we don't know that we would have made season three. We want to just say thank you to the people that we have not said thank you to yet on this show. That's Jonathan Sterless, George Ryan, Nicholas Geiger, Bob Blackhurst, Laura Amley, Carl Gatto, Janine Everett and Warren Butson. And if I said any of those names wrong, write me in and I'll say your name on the show again. And please check out our website. We have a list of all the donors. You're listed up there. Thank you all so much. We'll see you guys next time. Our theme music is Martha, My Dear by John Lennon and Paul McCartney, realized by Ryan Brady.